Hello, everyone, and welcome to the first episode of our newest project, Raya Affairs. We are very excited to be your co-hosts this episode. I'm Marina. And I'm Serene. And we are both international relations students interning at Raya. Serene, why don't you let our listeners know what Raya is all about? Sure, Marina. So to give our listeners a quick overview, Raya is an international think tank led by young professionals that translates the abstract world of international affairs by simplifying rather than generalizing. Raya is a place where you come to learn about the stories and worries of political leaders, the behind the scenes of decision makers, and how politics impacts and changes your life. This is Raya Affairs, filling you in wherever you are. And we just wanted to let you know that the expressed opinions in this episode are welcome, even though they're not a direct reflection of Raya. Raya specializes in unbiased writing and analysis. So to kick off this episode, we will be discussing a leader on the rise, President Gotabaya of Sri Lanka, and his current political challenges with escalating protests in the country due to fuel and food shortages. Raya writer Ross Hardy will delve into how the situation is playing out. Marina, take it away. Okay, perfect. Thank you. So hi, Ross, and welcome to this podcast's first episode as our first guest, too. Um, why don't you tell us a bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, and why did you choose to join Raya? Thank you, Marina. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Um, my name is Ross. I am a writer and an editor at Rye Group, and I graduated from the University of Nottingham. I'm in the UK uh, now. I graduated last year, and I chose to choose Raya following that to kind of expand uh, my knowledge and my enjoyment of international relations and having a kind of real tangible way to, to put that interest uh, into form. That's great. And we also just wanted to ask you this so our listeners can get a sense of who you are outside of Raya too. So as someone who you just said is very passionate about international relations, what leader, dead or alive, who has impacted the world would you like to have a five-minute conversation with? Yeah, a tough question. A lot to choose from, but I think I would maybe choose Mansa Musa of the Malian Empire um, as one of history's wealthiest men. And with a reputation of being very generous, I think uh, that benefit me quite well a conversation with that man I think the, the challenges that he faced were very interesting. Well Ross I wasn't really expecting such a unique answer but just imagining a possible conversation with him is interesting as it's quite unexpected as you say to have a generous leader of such a large empire so thanks for that and all right let's get into it. Okay so to start uh, Ross can you give us a quick overview of Sri Lanka's current economic challenges and the role of President Gotabaya in it. Yeah, definitely. Um, the situation in Sri Lanka at the moment is very bleak. Um, as you mentioned there, there are shortages on food and supplies, kind of critical supplies. Uh, the foreign exchange reserves now in Sri Lanka have been pretty much depleted. Um, people are being urged now to, to grow more rice but as, as food supplies are running out. And all of this economic decline has resulted in mass protests uh, that has led on to violence. Uh, there have been deaths involved. And at the centre of all of this crisis, uh, you have President Gotabaya, who is just trying to navigate a, a series of factors that are increasingly out of his control. Um, and he has very little that he can actually do to get this crisis under control. And you mentioned a number of factors that have worsened the crisis. So how would you say the president has addressed these issues? In other words, what has been his role in navigating this crisis? 
Well, there have been a variety of things that um, Gotabaya and his administration have done to try and uh, curb both the protests and also the economic crisis. Uh, in general, a lot of them not very well received. Um, for example, they have uh, cut taxes with kind of poorly, uh, poorly timed uh, tax cuts that have been quite irresponsible. Um, they've printed more money, which has led to increased inflation. And they've also initially um, been very cagey about the protests, trying to write it off as extremist groups and not really giving the platform to the, to the protesters and not really acknowledging the actual issue to begin with. Okay, so you mentioned as well that, again, multiple causes and like everything in international relations, we just see that what Sri Lanka is going through is multifaceted. Um, and you specifically mentioned in your article, which I thought was very well very pointed out the, how the COVID crisis and the Ukraine invasion has affected the country's tourism sector. So could you go into that a little bit more for those of us that don't really see that direct link? Yeah, definitely. I think that beyond these uh, internal mistakes of the government, um, this crisis is very much uh, exacerbated by international um, circumstances, as most things are. And like you say, that the, the Ukraine invasion uh, has has been a big factor for this. Um, when Gotabaya came to power, a big part of his economic uh, revival or restoration plan hinged on uh, tourism, which is a sector that the country is very dependent on. Um, and this sector has, has taken, you know, great a great hit since the invasion because two of the main targeted countries were Russia and, and Ukraine. Uh, equally, trade has been disrupted um, because of the invasion with Russia and these two sectors, tourism and trade, are both massively affected. And beyond that as well, you have the international uh, kind of circumstance that affects everyone of mm -hmm. the, the pandemic, which equally sees, um, you know, tourism losses, something like 70% of tourism, tourism revenue lost in Sri Lanka during the, the pandemic. And that's compounded with already worsening situation before the pandemic you had the the easter sunday bombings that that saw heavy losses that year and the the problem with this dependency on tourism is that it's an exponential problem the the, the worse the economic situation is the fewer people come to visit and it just compounds like that it goes back and forth the less people visit the worse the economy becomes yes thank you that was such a clear explanation and picture that you painted with your response i think as well coming from a country myself which is very dependent on tourism i understand how devastating that impact can be when it goes back and forth building up with the economic crisis as you just mentioned so i wanted to ask as a follow-up you know you mentioned in your article that while all of this is happening in sri lanka it's very difficult to place the blame solely on president gotabaya however have any of his past actions really affected his reputation within the country, which eventually leads the people to point the finger at Gotabaya? Yeah, definitely. I think that his reputation, I'm glad you brought it up because it is a big part of uh, the, the situation here. Uh, Gotabaya is kind of a career politician. He comes from this, um, you know, dynasty of the, the Rajapaksas, this big political family that's heavily criticised um, for, you know, a number of reasons. 
during his time as the defense minister, it came out that he had threatened the former army chief who was talking about criticizing the military action and then further things like corruption scandals with the Pandora Papers, uh, other human rights abuses uh, coming out and the, the intimidation of, of anyone um, that seems to criticize the, the, the regime of this, what I kind of call a democratic dynasty. It's, it's, it's definitely interesting how his reputation has played a role in all of this. I do think it's interesting, uh, but also uh, seeing how often family dynasties are present in the Pandora Papers, almost as if we can make a connection between appointing family members and the levels of corruption uh, within government and country. And um, as we've seen, this has become a reality not only in Gotabaya-led Sri Lanka, but tens of other family-led countries as we've seen in the Pandora Paper leaks lately. So um, what's more is we see similar characteristics when it comes to uh, issues such as human rights, for example, with beating up protesters and suppressing certain media. How would you say uh, these uh, characteristics have manifested um, in family-led you know, Sri Lanka? Yeah, definitely. And it's it's an interesting thing to talk about this family-led regime uh, or family-led government because it, it is quite an antiquated system that does share these characteristics. And you know, specifically in Sri Lanka, we see with the protests and the treatment of dissension in, in Sri Lanka with violence, with uh, chaos and this ever-growing kind of need for stability where there isn't any. And I, I think that especially in Sri Lanka now, we see the, the intimidation of journalists um, and we've had protesters, you know, people on both sides, protesters and now lawmakers um, that have been killed during the escalating violence in Sri Lanka. Okay, and uh, going back to what was previously mentioned by Marina and in your article, uh, you list COVID-19 and the Ukrainian invasion as factors that have uh, contributed to the devastation of the Sri Lankan economy. I think here we can make a greater connection between economies and crises and these two factors. So I guess we have a clear picture of President Gotabaya, of who he is and his public image within Sri Lankan society. My question here would be, how can we draw parallels with other countries when it comes to the use of expansionary monetary policy around the globe, especially in times of, you know, weakened economy and economies in crisis? Yeah, definitely. I think the economic factors here and the economic dimension to all of this uh, definitely can't be overlooked. And I think the case of Sri Lanka is an extreme but very representative uh, example of the drawbacks of this sort of expansionary monetary policy, the idea of, of um, you know, putting more money into the economy, trying to stimulate the economy through means like printing more money or, you know, there are very various other expansionary um, monetary policies that, that kind of implicate that are implicated here in this situation and if you look at you know Sri Lanka as I say an extreme example of this you know at the time of writing of my article you know six weeks ago a month ago something like that the inflation rate was at about 17.5 percent that's already a record number now as of this uh, I don't know when this will be published but as of right this week um that sits at around 40 percent so we can see you know the the real drawbacks of this what can be irresponsible, um, you know, monetary policies, fiscal policies, and how they're enacted in Sri Lanka. And there are, without a doubt, benefits to this kind of policy um, in terms of economic stimulation, but there's definitely drawbacks too as well. If you look at, you know, the UK, for example, during COVID, during periods of, you know, downturn, um, of decreased activity, this kind of policy is great for stimulating the economy, but the danger is that it's hard to know when to stop. And you run the risk then of, 
an inflated economy, uh, like inflation or uh, an overheated economy. Um, and there are definitely, it's very difficult to gauge that even for the most experienced and prudent uh, economist. Ross, I completely agree. I think that choosing and maintaining the right economic policies are very difficult, even though doing so right now is pivotal in today's fragmented economy. You mentioned the stark increase in Sri Lanka's inflation rate from 17% to a whopping 40% in just a matter of weeks. And we can only imagine how devastating this must be for a population of 22 million. I think that on the other hand, this situation is not unique to Sri Lanka and that this phenomenon is seen around the globe with staggering inflation rates, rising prices and civil unrest. And one of the basic consequences is not being able to afford groceries. That's another hot topic right now and an unfortunate consequence that's circulating um, on a massively global scale. Yeah, definitely. And I think what we also see as a result from this is, um, you know, beyond the domestic uh, situation, we also see internationally uh, an increased dependence on either superpowers or institutions like the IMF, you know, sources of international aid, which do shift these kind of dynamics and create dynamics of dependency uh, between smaller countries like Sri Lanka and then bigger sources of aid. And Ross, you know, speaking of these external actors, and as you just mentioned, institution like the an institution like the IMF. I recently read as well when I was preparing for this episode that the Sri Lankan government is seeking an emergency loan from the IMF of around 3 billion US dollars. But as we know, um, studying uh, international relations, the IMF doesn't exactly have the nicest reputation. It's very stringent when it comes to the terms and conditions of whatever loan it gives to a country almost leaving no room for negotiation. So in Sri Lanka's case, I read that the IMF has asked the government to raise interest rates again and taxes as a condition of that loan. How do you think this condition can maybe implicate or even backfire uh, onto the country's economic situation and again, to President Gotabaya in particular? Yeah, definitely a very good question. I think, the, the stringent conditions that you mentioned there are especially significant when you look at the story of uh, Sri Lanka and this economic crisis. Initially, the government were very opposed to the conditions. Um, I think we're starting to get a picture here of Gotabaya as quite a stubborn leader, um, and his government were stubborn to the IMF's uh, conditions because they didn't see them as feasible. But as economic conditions worsened, uh, and one agreement was reached with the aim of cutting the trade deficit. But these conditions, like raising taxes, I think will only further cripple the Sri Lankan people and you know you see this week I think the the Sri Lanka uh, defaulted on its first um, payment and it seems like that's going to be the trend for now it's going to be a lot of Sri Lanka uh, defaulting on payments and Gotabaya right now has very little breathing room so he is he is looking out to maybe further afield from the IMF and looking more to international superpowers as well as the IMF because the IMF simply isn't enough of an avenue for for Sri Lanka. Definitely. So now that we discussed the topic of external players and their interests in aiding Sri Lanka navigate through this crisis, I'd like to shift the focus onto Sri Lanka's backyard, um, more specifically China and India. So Ross, you mentioned that uh, as of right now, Sri Lanka has little to no breathing room. And so it's in a tight spot between superpowers, right? 
And we've seen that even though Sri Lanka occupies an integral spot in India's neighborhood first policy, over the years, there appears to have been some form of neglect in terms of fostering closer trade and development ties uh, between New Delhi and Colombo. And this is where Beijing comes in, right? Uh, so we've seen a rise in Beijing's um, approach to Sri Lanka in terms of a dominant foreign player um, in the island nation. And this is especially apparent as China is the country's top single lender and also its biggest source of foreign direct investment. So even in trade terms, uh, it's apparent that Sri Lanka imports more from China than India. So given all of this and the shifts of interest, what would you say are Gotabaya's primary drivers of interest when it comes to Colombo's relations with New Delhi and Beijing? And would you describe um, the shift in relations as um, opportune uh, or driven by historical ties and long-term regional strategies? Yeah, um, again, really great question. I think it's both. Um, I, I think you have you, you could make the argument for both there. But right now, uh, with the position that Gotabaya is in, he has he he doesn't really have the luxury to have uh, a broad range of drivers. Right now, it is stability at you know the cost of whatever. You know, he there is no real. Um, other driver than that and we see that driving him domestically um, in the way he interacts with his populace and also internationally by reaching out for countries uh, like China and India and his uh, as you say his backyard um, for some sort of aid um, I think two billion dollars um, a line of credit has been established with New Delhi and they are asking for a further 2.5 billion from Beijing and also looking to restructure debt payments so the, the reality is that Gotabaya is doing what he can to, to cling to some semblance of stability here, but there are limitations to both of these things. Uh, relations have been quite strained with India since the presidency of uh, Mahinda um, Rajapaksa, who is Gotabaya's brother, um, former president, um, talking about this dynasty there. Um, and with China, as you say there about long-term um, opportunism, you have the, the worry of that kind of long-term indebted into a country that's already trying to seek uh, you know, greater influence in the region, greater influence in Sri Lanka, in both an immediate sense and long term. Um, Ross, that was actually perfect because I was going to say that I'm very interested in understanding more about China's growing influence in the region. And at least on China's side, I believe that it's been long term regional strategy, you know, to use, for example, their cabbage patch strategy and seize, you know, um, ports and strategic islands of neighboring countries. And we've seen this when they seized Sri Lanka's ports after it failed to repay its loans to China. So I just wanted to ask you, how do you believe China's presence will continue to grow following Sri Lanka's economic crisis? Yeah, definitely. I agree there with, with the, the long-term uh, strategy is, is certainly evident there. I think the adoption of this Chinese model of uh, infrastructure-led development in the early 2000s has really limited uh, Sri Lanka as, as of recent years um china has had this long-term kind of foot in the door of uh, in terms of influence uh, with sri lanka and as you mentioned there the season of, of the port is very important when you look at that because it, it feeds into um xi jinping's further aim to expand this project this um maritime silk road and up until now or up until recently uh, china hasn't really been able to exert a full influence uh, on sri lanka but given um you know the relationship 
between the two now and given the crisis. And despite the fact that India has had some success um, in, in kind of mitigating this control, you know, this economic crisis, this economic decline gives gives uh, Xi Jinping the, a real opportunity to encircle a smaller nation like Sri Lanka. So we could see it growing exponentially. Yes, Ross. And just to add a quick comment here, as we know, um, analyzing and studying international relations, China does frequently engage in this debt trap diplomacy to increase its political leverage. And particularly with, as you mentioned in your article, the Belt and Road Initiative that is underway. When it comes to financial sponsorship and Gotabaya, it's our view as well that this is where China has a bigger advantage against India. Exactly. And I think this provides a perfect segue into the topic of dependence versus sovereignty. Um, as international relations students, uh, we know that in the international arena, especially nowadays, a struggle is observed between achieving dependence uh, versus maintaining sovereignty. And at times, what we observe is that leaders are willing to throw away their values and sovereignty for the sake of increased financial bridging and uh, country sponsorship. So, Ross, how do you think Gotabaya is dealing with this toss-up in the midst of what, what can be described as peak crisis? Yeah, good question. Not very well, honestly. Uh, I think that the uh, all of these circumstances in Sri Lanka right now, both externally with things beyond the leaders' control and also internally, um, they've completely diminished any sort of international credibility uh, or status that Gotabaya really has in his his um, international armory, if you like, our ammunition is, is certainly depleted. Um, we see this situation now where you have two superpowers here, India and China, vying for influence, regional influence in Sri Lanka. And, you know, there are some people out there, you know, more qualified maybe or more, with more expertise that say that Sri Lanka's uh, sovereignty is already in crisis here. And it's only a matter of time before this sovereignty is diminished alongside uh, Gotabaya's international status as well. I am inclined to agree. I think that there is very little that Gotabaya can do at this point, and he, he's going to have to settle for dependence on someone, whether it's uh, China or India, or you know even the IMF is yet to be seen. But dependency is is likely in the future. Understood. Thank you for elaborating, Ross. So it seems that we've come to the end of our discussion. But before moving on to our Q and A section. We wanted to know, what do you believe are the three top takeaways our listeners should have, more specifically in your process of research and analysis? I think the specifics of the research and analysis process, especially in regards to hot news, is a topic of particular interest to the public today, considering the large amount of disinformation that is out there. And Ross, please feel free to add your personal thoughts in your answer. Yeah, I think that I agree. I think that the research analysis process now is probably more complicated than it ever has been with the amount of information that we have. But for three kind of main takeaways from this situation, I would say uh, to watch out for the, the the rippling effects of international um, phenomena. You know, the Sri Lankan crisis has, has now passed the tipping point and is a perfect example of this, how these international circumstances can affect countries that maybe you wouldn't expect um, or maybe countries that wouldn't be the first to come to mind. Um, and equally, this, this crisis, and uh, it, it weakens Sri Lanka and proves to be, you know, this opportunity for international actors to step in and create further connections uh, internationally like that. And finally, I think in terms of the research and process analysis, I think it's very easy for us outside of the situation to, you know, look at analysis and to look at strategy or uh, to look at these things. And we have this 
issue of sometimes maybe over granulating the subject and, and, and putting too much of the situation on one factor, whereas it is always a culmination of many things. And uh, not least of all, an individual leader's perspective, intentions, what stake did they have in this is also um, something that often gets overlooked that shouldn't be. Thank you, Ross, for those top takeaways. Um, we're just going to move now into our little quick Q&A, and this is where we send, where we discuss, you know, some questions that have been asked by our uh, listeners in anticipation of our podcast. So basically, you just answer in a quick response because there are more to for our viewers to engage with you. So first up, we have Alejandro from Madrid, and his question is the following. How probable is the scenario in which Gotabaya will be forced to resign and a new government will be formed, seeing as the economic crisis is ongoing? Yes, that's, that's a good question, Alejandro. Um, uh, it's it's not likely, I don't think. Uh, I think he has, he's stated his plans now to stay uh, in the presidency for the rest of his term. And I think without... Um, I don't think that peacefully he's going to go. Uh, quite simply, I think his goal now is to bring about constitutional reform to help restore stability. And for him, elections are the way to do that, although he will not be around for the next term. Okay, perfect. Thank you. And for our next question, we have Marta from Barcelona. And Marta says before this, uh, before we posted um, the topic on our channels. She had never heard of the Sri Lankan crisis and Gotapaya's role in it. So she asks, could you shed some light on why this is an important issue and how it affects the world around us? Yeah, that's that's another great question. I think sometimes it can be hard for us uh, outside of the the kind of impact zone to be to be interested in these things. But the rise of Chinese influence in the region and the shift in dynamics um, in the region is something that we definitely should be paying attention to, and it is something that will have in the same way that the Ukraine invasion had a ripple effect on Sri Lanka, growing regional dynamics and and changes in power in Southeast Asia is, and in South Asia is something that will ripple and come and affect us on, in all corners of the world. Yes, Ross, and at the end of the day, we feel that ripple effect in any part of the international arena. But I think that's all for today. This topic is definitely a hot one, building up since March 2020 with the initial decrease of foreign reserves, and now much more dynamic, especially due to that involvement of foreign actors that we have just mentioned, China, India, and the IMF. We have learned a great deal on Sri Lanka's current economic crisis, on the domestic reputation of President Gotabaya, and I think we've also really discussed the nuances that come with putting family first in the political realm, and of course the nuances of the next decisions and moves that Gotabaya has to make as he navigates through this economic crisis. Thank you so much for joining us today and premiering Raya Affairs as our first featured writer. Ross, you're literally a natural when it comes to podcasts, and it was a pleasure having this discussion with you. It was a pleasure learning from you, because as some of our listeners, I didn't know much about the Sri Lankan crisis and Gotabaya's role in it. So thank you again for coming on here and premiering Raya Affairs. Thank you so much for having me. It was great being here. Thank you, Ross. And for those of you that are interested in reading more, check out Ross's article. We are going to post it. Um, with the link in the podcast description, or even you, uh, go to the riagroup.org website and make sure also to follow us on Instagram, which is raya.now. It was a pleasure hosting this talk today. We're your co-hosts, Sarin and Marina. 
Goodbye from us and thanks for tuning in. Have a great day in your sphere of influence.